Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guests, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries, disease, or medical conditions, and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Lyndall Vandenberg. Lyndall is the South Australian State Manager of Oz Harvest, a food rescue charity founded by Ronnie Khan AO. Lyndall will tell us about Oz Harvest's operations and the many positive impacts it has on our community. As you will hear, Lyndall has had a varied and interesting career but the common thread through most of it has been her love of Australian produce. Hi, Lyndall. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. Before we dive into our main topics of discussion today, which are food waste and Oz Harvest's role in helping combat that, I'd like to find out a little more about you. So where did you grow up, Lyndall? I grew up in Newcastle in New South Wales. When you were growing up, what kind of foods did your family eat? Uh, they were always healthy and always home cooked. Um, I came from a family of women who took a great deal of pride in cooking highly nutritious and delicious food, everything mm-hmm. from scratch. Um, family meals, there was always a lot of lively conversation and laughter. Uh, in fact, I rang my grandmother last night. I'm lucky enough that my grandmother is still alive. She's 90. You are lucky said, Nana, so I'm doing this podcast tomorrow. And she said, and I told her about it. And she said to me, make sure that you tell them that there was always love. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And did you learn to cook from your mother and grandmother? Oh, I did the basics, I think. Uh, it wasn't until later when I got into my career that I really learned how to cook properly. But I think what stands out for me is um, the way that food was revered, um, mm. and particularly in the growing of it because my grandparents actually had a huge vegetable garden and they had chooks, so they grew everything. And, you know, I mean, I have memories of my grandmother stringing beans, my grandfather eating chilies straight off the book, <laughs> you know, super ripe pawpaws, red heirloom tomatoes, school prawns straight from the trawler. And we'd eat them on white rolls with lemon juice and the adults would be drinking home brew. Oh, that just sounds absolutely amazing and and idyllic. Uh, Growing your own food is really, it's so fulfilling, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, It was pretty, pretty amazing. And there's five grandchildren in our family and we all have very, very powerful, very loving memories of growing up. Oh, that's wonderful. So it seems like your your upbringing was very much, uh, there was a food focus and that's just kind of infiltrated into your being, your love of food and, and what's connected with that, like the love and the laughter and the family times. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that, that's really what the heart of it is. It's that conviviality um, and the love and the joy with family and getting together and, you know, sharing time. Yeah. And I see from your CV in LinkedIn that you studied hairdressing in Newcastle. So did you work as a hairdresser? I did, um, probably for 10 years. Oh, a long time. And so did you enjoy that? You know, no, in a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, I, I left school at year 10 um, for a hairdressing apprenticeship because at that stage that was perfectly acceptable. Um, if you weren't going to university, you went and did a trade and you left school at year 10. That was just the way it was. Yeah. And I had a heart full of ambition, but I just wasn't passionate about hairdressing. To be honest, I was, it bored me stupid. <laughs> I wanted to do something really special with my life and career. So I went out into the world and I sought it out. You did continue studying. You've done lots of things. You're now qualified in communications, food safety, photography and project management. But at the same time, you've spent much of your working life in the food industry, mm. including stints at Sunraiser. Did I say that properly? Sunraiser? Yeah, yeah in Mildura. Mm, farmer's Market in Mildura and then the Wollonga Farmer's Market. So farmer's markets are all about fresh local produce and community, a bit like how your upbringing sounded. So what did you enjoy most about working in those environments? When I look at Sunraysia Farmer's Market, for me it's actually a career highlight. I, I worked with an incredible management committee who believed in me, they supported me, and they entrusted me to dream big and build the market to become a community icon. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing couple of years. Uh, so we built it um, into a highly respected charity and we were known for best practice, professionalism, community inclusion, innovation, and, of course, high quality, so whether that was food or service or whatever. And so we built it to about 5,000 visitors who came each market and we had a breakfast stall and that was our main way of um, fundraising and 500 hand-cooked meals would be made at every market or thereabouts. You know, we had volunteers, we had community engagement programs, we had staff and, of course, the provision of income for 80-plus producers and their families. So oh, it sounds amazing. It was, it was pretty amazing. And I assume that's still continuing today, is that right? Yes, it, it, that market has been established for oh, probably 15 years or longer. When you were living in Mildura, you also built up a business making handmade preserves yes. and then you teamed up with Stefano De Pieri of the eponymous award-winning restaurant Stefano's. Mm. So can you tell us how that came about? I just moved to Mildura with my young families, having spent seven years in Geraldton in Western Australia, and uh, that was about 2002. And at the time, I was obsessed with food, as I think half most of the country were, <laughs> and I had a burning <laughs> ambitious to work with Stefano. Um, he just won the Aged Good Food Guide Chef of the Year and Restaurant of the Year, so everyone was talking about him. Um, I took a job as a kitchen hand, and I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my earliest memories of Stefano is the time he asked me to make blood orange marmalade 
So I really had no idea what I was doing, but I did bluff my way a fair bit because that's what you needed to do. You had needed a bit of bravado. So one day he handed me a box of blood oranges and in Steph's way said, go and make marmalade. <laughs> Off I went and I pulled out the Stephanie Alexander cookbook. I thought, oh, dear. Anyway, I made the marmalade. It didn't work properly, but it tasted great. And um, the, the important thing is, is over that time, I fell in love with Mildura. I was surrounded by passionate people. There was so much innovation and entrepreneurism going on at that stage. Um, incredible local produce. I mean, food I'd never seen before, even eaten, like blood oranges, Buddha's hands, varieties of grapes I'd never even heard of. Uh, so as far as the preserves go, I simply saw an opportunity and Stefano being Stefano loves, he's Mr Entrepreneur, so he's, he was always interested in trying something new. So built a business and started off just producing a few dozen handmade preserves using regional seasonal produce every week and um, within a couple of years I'd built it up to a national distribution network of about 150 food stores around the country and we were making about 50,000 jars of preserves per annum. Wow. Where did you do that? In his commercial kitchen? I rented, I rented a tiny little kitchen down the back of um, the good food store that he had and it was full of weird and wonderful people. You know, the, the crazy baker who worked next door, um, it's hospo, so people are wild and wacky and wonderful. (laughs) Sounds fun. It was amazing. And, you know, and Stefano was incredible, the most incredible networker. Um, So, you know, there'd be all these people coming through, you know, who were nationally well-known and, um, you know, whether it was in politics or art or food or whatever. So met some really amazing people over the years. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Do you have a favourite flavour or um, type of preserve that you used to make? I, I had many because everything was seasonal and I was just yeah. completely in love with what I was doing. But um, I, I think some of the early ones that I created, like blood orange marmalade, peach and vanilla bean jam, quince chutney. Yeah. Um, but I must tell you the tomato sugo story um, because this is... You know, I, I had wonderful Italian women working for me in the early days and everyone used to make homemade sugo. And being um, entrepreneurial as everyone is, they fashion um, machinery out of next to nothing. So I convinced these women to teach me how to make proper passata sugo. And so one of the women, Frances, brought her husband's um, Source machine in, and it was actually a source machine that had made been made from an old um, sewing machine. <laughs> yeah. So you'd put the tomato in hole in one end, and it'd spit out the skin on one side and the, the beautiful flesh. You know, oh, that is fantastic! Pasta <laughs> sauce, um, and that became our biggest selling product. And today, it's still the business's biggest selling product. They sell it by the pallet load now. Oh, wow. That's incredible. The result of a sewing machine. (laughs) (laughs) You've obviously got a huge passion for the food industry, not just the food itself, but the people in it from the sounds of it. 
you've also worked as a food writer and stylist. And so it seems, therefore, that work as the state manager of Oz Harvest is a really great fit for you. So let's talk about Oz Harvest's magnificent founder, Ronnie Khan, AO. Can you give us a potted history of how Ronnie started Oz Harvest? Uh, okay, so Ronnie founded Oz Harvest in 2004 and essentially she was driven by a passion to make a difference um, because of the staggering waste of quality excess food and the growing need for food relief for vulnerable in our community. So she changed the laws to make it safe for companies to donate food and she started with one van in Sydney rescuing food and distributing it to charities. And now Oz Harvest operates nationally. Um, we're rescuing over 180 tonnes of food every week um, from over 3,500 food donors. It was pretty amazing in a short space of time. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And when you talk about food rescue, can you explain to our listeners what that actually is? Where does Oz Harvest rescue the food from? Okay, so here in Adelaide, uh, for example, uh, and it's of course the same all over the country. Uh, we rescue food from or quality surplus food from commercial food businesses only. So that could be supermarkets, cafes, um, restaurants. Um, you know, basically anyone who's a registered food business who has surplus food. So here in Adelaide, um, you know, we we rescue food from. Adelaide Oval, for example, many, many supermarkets, a lot of the IGA stores, um, restaurants, of course, when they are open and so on. And then where does that food go once it's been rescued? They go direct to our registered charitable agencies and uh, there's a huge demographic of um, people that they service. So we operate four vans on the road every day and they operate across the metropolitan areas of Adelaide. So they'll go as far north as Gawler and as far south as the Florio region mm-hmm. um, and, of course, into the western suburbs as well, and we also do a central run. So we're, we're delivering to about 130 charities each week free of charge. So it's a massive logistical exercise. It is, and it's essentially um, a logistics operation. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. And let's just uh, mention a few statistics about food waste so the listeners can get an appreciation of how much is actually wasted in Australia and, and why this is such an important charity to kind of to try and address that. Well, well look, we know that the government estimates food waste costs uh, the Australian economy about $20 billion every year. And over 5 million tonnes of that food ends up in landfill. So it's enough to fill a 9,000 9, Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's, it's really hard to get your head around that, isn't it? That is just so much food. I believe also that one in five shop, shopping bags end up in the bin. So that's about, for each household, about 3,000 $800 worth of groceries each year, which which equates to the average household wasting about 35% of the food that they buy, mm. which is just extraordinary. It is. It is. It's huge. 
So we, we know that nearly 4 million people experience food insecurity every year and a quarter of those are children. 710,000 approximately rely on food relief every month and one quarter of those are children. And the other thing that uh, you know from the uh, studies and research that Oz Harvest has done is that regional and remote communities are the hardest hit and they are one-third more likely to experience food insecurity than those living in capital cities. Yep. So there's a huge need mm. for Oz Harvest. Yes. Um, and apart from the food rescue, Oz Harvest does a few other things. I know there's a market in Sydney. That really intrigues me. So can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Okay, so uh, the Oz Harvest Market is Australia's first ever rescued food market and it's stocked with produce that's either been donated or would otherwise go to waste um, but of course it's perfectly edible and the philosophy is based on take what you need and give what if you can so you don't have to pay but if you can give us a little donation that's just amazing and our purpose is to make rescued food available to everyone, especially those who need it the most. The Oz Harvest Market is in Kensington yeah. in Sydney. And Oz Harvest also has a lot of volunteers helping out. So what are the, some of the things that volunteers do at Oz Harvest? Well, they do so many different things. Um, with the onset of COVID, unfortunately, those roles have sort of shrunk a bit. Um, but at the moment, uh, you know, they're filling some really important roles, particularly around food rescue. So they'll be helping us at the markets on the weekend. So we, we pick up food from the central markets and also the Adelaide Farmers Market. So they'll go in and collect food for us. They're helping us in our warehouse. Um, so really important things like tub washing for our food rescue vans and just generally helping us keep it all organised. Um, admin as well and assisting in our food rescue vans. Mm. And you mentioned coronavirus, so I would like to talk about that and how it's impacted Oz Harvest. Mm. But just before we do that, how did you actually come to work there? Ah, well, essentially I applied for the job. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> through a very normal channel. <laughs> but what I'd love to point out is one of the things that I love most about Oz Harvest is that it's an organisation that looks after people. So my personal story is that I applied for this job at a time when I, in my life when I needed someone to believe in me. So I had a lifetime of skills and experiences. I was new to Adelaide. My networks were limited. I was in my mid-40s. I'd recently separated. I was a single mum. Hadn't worked for a few years because I'd chosen to be a mum and be the best one possible. And I needed a job. And it was tough getting started in Adelaide. Mm. So I applied for this job and I was fortunate enough to be offered it. So... Oh, that's a very good story. And I'm sure that helped with your integration into Adelaide and, and meeting people Absolutely. and creating a network. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, we love Adelaide. It's such a livable, wonderful city to live in. It, it is. I agree. And it has got a fantastic food culture. It does. <laughs> Mm. We mentioned coronavirus before, and I, I know that has had a huge impact on Oz Harvest's operations, particularly, for example, on corporate fundraising. 
Oz Harvest had a very popular corporate program called Cooking for a Cause, mm. which I believe has been cancelled for the foreseeable future because of COVID-19. So can you tell us about that program? And also, do you think it will be reintroduced when it's possible? Um, I don't, the, the short answer is I don't know. Um, I don't think any of us really know what yeah. it's going to look like um, post-COVID. What I do know, though, is that Oz Harvest uh, is incredibly innovative and we always adapt to meet what's going on in our world. So Cooking for a Cause, wonderful program. It, it, it would take um, groups of corporate um, businesses in and they'd cook um, beautiful meals with our chefs to um, using rescued food and then that food would then be sent out into our charities for vulnerable people to enjoy. So we've kind of adapted that um, since COVID happened and we're actually producing cooked meals on a much bigger scale. And some of those cooking for a cause chefs who, as you can imagine, have lost their livelihoods um, because most of them mm. are self-employed, have actually been volunteering and producing meals themselves for us in our kitchen, in one of our kitchens. And at the moment they're producing about 500 meals a week. Food. Yeah, and that's going into um, our charities at the moment. Yeah, so a, a lovely example of adapting and changing and, you know, giving hope to people, not only vulnerable people but those who are, um, you know, struggling a bit because of work. Yes, yeah. Mm. It's been a massive upheaval, hasn't it? And I think it's really hit the hospitality and food industry so hard. It has. But it's not all doom and gloom. So I know that Oz Harvest has some exciting new projects in the pipeline so could you please give us a bit of a rundown of some of those? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's actually a really exciting time to be working with Oz Harvest. Um, we're actually busier. I, I've worked here for two years now and it's the busiest it's ever been since I've been here. And that's largely thank you to the federal government for some amazing um, funding and also, Excellent. yeah, to the state government and also some philanthropic donations. Um, we're able to continue to feed those in need but also meet and adapt to this COVID environment. Our Nourish program, um, which is for vulnerable youth aged 18 to 24, uh, we normally take them through a Cert 2 in kitchen operations. That's kind of been put on hold. It's being delivered on a part-time capacity online. But our Nourish coordinator, Ruth, has been redeployed to manage the production of cooked meals. Um, and an example of a partnership we've formed recently would be Adelaide with Adelaide Oval. Mm -hmm. And that essentially is bringing chefs back to work to produce about 1,500 meals a week. So it's a wonderful show of community spirit um, where our two community, community organisations are working together to support and help vulnerable people in South Australia. Also really exciting is we're about to launch our mobile market. So we've selected 15 sites, um, mostly in the northern areas of Adelaide, and essentially we'll have a van stocked daily with fresh fruit and vegetables and dairy and meat and essential groceries plus a selection of pre-prepared meals so people can come they can take what they want it's for anyone who needs food what a wonderful program pretty cool yeah yeah that's going to have a huge impact i would imagine yep 
Absolutely. We're also about to launch our regional project. So we, we've actually been surveying that just to assess need. But again, we're looking at about 18 regional sites and we're going to be delivering mostly food hampers into regional areas, but we're actually going to be purchasing food and that, what I mean by that is essential grocery items for those hampers from local businesses. So in a small way, we're injecting, you know, funding into those communities and helping to stimulate economies. Oh, that's fantastic. So when is that likely to launch? Uh, in the next, next week. And when you say regional areas, do you mean in South Australia? South Australia. This is a wellbeing podcast and according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and anyone who's studied social sciences will have heard of that, the most basic needs for humans are physiological and safety. So that includes having access to food and water. And it is extraordinary, I think, in a country like Australia that is so wealthy that there are people whose basic needs are not met. And Ozharvest obviously helps to address that. And further up the hierarchy are psychological needs. And I would say that working as a volunteer for an organisation like Ozharvest helps fulfil those needs by providing a sense of connection, accomplishment and belonging. Would you say that's a fair comment? I would say that's a big yes. <laughs> and what are some of the positive impacts you've seen whilst working at Ozharvest, not just for the recipients of the rescued food, but also for the volunteers and people working there. It's just an amazing thing. Um, so volunteering provides a safe environment where people feel welcome and valued. It, it reinforces a positive sense of community spirit and pride. Um, I also think it allows for the sharing of skills and experience because we've got mm. such a broad demographic of people coming together for a common cause. And, of course, it provides networking opportunities and the opportunity to make new friends. And I think on a personal level, it also helps to improve self-esteem, it provides purpose and, of course, helps to reduce loneliness. It does meet so many needs, not just the actual purpose for which it was set up, which is to rescue food, but it really helps people, I think, on a um, psychological level. And I know from my one day volunteering on the van, and this was pre-coronavirus, when we delivered some food, uh, the women who received it were hugging us and they were so grateful. And it was just such a wonderful experience. Mm. I mean, these days you wouldn't do the hug, but <laughs> it was really nice. One of our beautiful volunteers, Ian, who comes in and volunteers with us twice a week, yesterday just because he wanted to brought homemade scones they're all buffed oh. up beautifully and, and that that's the kind of things that you see and people do there's another really positive impact and that is on the environment because as we know food waste often ends up in landfill mm. so reducing that food waste is obviously a win-win and Lyndall mm. You love food and it's very cold here in Adelaide at the moment, at least I think it is. So what would a typical home-cooked winter meal look like at your place? Okay, so I'm going to share with you what I cooked my family for dinner on Sunday night. So we had corned beef um, and I braised it in cloves and bay leaves and peppercorns. Yeah, we had mashed potato, cauliflower cheese, 
with farmer's market carrots and beans. Yum. That is comfort food at its best. And then we had chocolate for dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Yum. (laughs) And Lyndall, just my final question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I would say plenty of exercise and develop bucket loads of optimism. Oh, that's wonderful. So I just also wanted on this to share my personal professional vision, um, which I think is relevant, and that is to be brave enough to fail believing that something great happens. That's really wonderful advice. In fact, a lot of people um, that I have interviewed over the course of this podcast, they have tried new things and they've put themselves out there and they've been, you know, not scared of failing. And I think that's something that can hold a lot of people back. Mm. And then I guess if you look at someone like Ronnie, I mean, she took a huge risk, didn't she? I mean, she had the passion, obviously, but... It must have been very hard work setting up Oz Harvest and she just persisted and persisted. Yeah. And now it's it's an amazing organisation. Absolutely. And and she did and she's got so much heart, um, you know, and she's willing to be vulnerable. Um, so I, I've seen her, I've seen her cry, I've seen her laugh, I've seen her leap up and down with joy. It's a heart and soul into everything. Yeah, she's amazing. When I first went to hear her speak, um, it was a lecture she was giving and I ended up in, I took my mum along. I said, mum, you have to come and listen to this woman. She's amazing. And we both ended up in tears. She was so passionate. Linda, if people would like to have a look at what Oz Harvest does or follow Oz Harvest or make a donation or contribution, Mm. what are the best ways to do that? Um, really through our website, um, it, it's um, the best way really is to donate at the moment um, because we, we need that vital funding to keep the wheels turning mm. essentially. So you, you can donate through our website. So every dollar donated equals two meals for those in need. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, Linda. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Oh, hi, Amanda. Thank you very much for having me. And that was Lyndall Vandenberg, South Australian State Manager of Oz Harvest, passionate foodie and community-minded person. I hope you enjoyed our chat today. I noticed in my chat with Lyndall there was one part where the sound dropped out and that was the bit where Lyndall said that her nana is 93 years old and I thought that was important to mention. And one would have to think that all that beautiful homegrown produce, happy family meals and reverence for food must be a contributing factor to her longevity. You can subscribe to my podcast, Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. 
please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution, you can do so via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon. Simply visit the Contribute page on my website and this will help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content. Finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.